Welcome to the Potion Podcast, your raw look at the hospitality industry, brought to you by SHC. What has happened to Post Welcome to another episode of the Post Shift Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Sean Sewell. Today's episode is with Christoph Coates, my partner in uh, Exemplar LM, which is a online marketing company for the liquor industry that we're really focusing in on during COVID and post-COVID in the way of website development, uh, Shopify stores, and uh, online marketing. And so um, we really get down to the nuts and bolts of why people seem to be scared to take that that hurdle of making that move because I think online marketing websites, that sort of thing sort of gets put into this category of being a big business, uh, a big business or big corporations mentalities. But um, the application of a lot of things we're talking about today to small business can really, really get you good ROI. Um, and we chat about the the hurdles that exist for a lot of businesses to take that step into the online thing. And I think me personally, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the Wizard of Oz mentality where it's all smoke and mirrors and then you pull back a curtain and it's like, Jesus, it's just a dude on a on a, a little old dude with fucking pedals and, and levers and strings. And so um, we sort of peel back a lot of that stuff and start talking about it. I try to keep Christoph on point when it comes to uh, not getting too geeky and keeping it in layman's terms for a lot of people so that they can understand it. Uh, but I hope you get a lot of value from this. Um Really, really listen to it about how you can apply a lot of this to your own business because I think a lot of people just don't understand the concept of it all. And when something scares people, it uh, it usually doesn't resonate with people as well as it should. But I try and break it down the best I can. Hope you enjoy this episode, guys. Thanks as always for the uh, support, and I'll see you soon. Bye. Introduce yourself and let's let's start. I always love the origin story. I like Christoph Coates um, number one because I'm a comic book nerd. Um, <laughs> Christoph Coates, number one, how did you get into what you do now? Like define what you do now and then how did you get into it? Also hooking in that hospitality experience. Right. So, uh, my hospitality experience, so let's start there. Cause that was like first job kind of stuff. Um, you know, I, I did uh, busing and then waiting, uh, up in Nanaimo. Um, and then, I got into sales, uh, computer sales, and then from there, you know, computers, like selling computers and all that kind of stuff is sort of like being trapped in time. You're having the same conversation over and over and over again. It's a groundhog day. Um, so I was always interested in, um, you know, better business solutions for people. Like often I would deal with uh, small business owners that needed a computer to do Email scheduling and accounting. What year and is it? Then, uh, 2001. I always try, I like to remind the kids that 20 years ago, computers were very, very different than, than they were now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, it, by 2003, after doing just a ton of sales, you know, like... Uh, millions of dollars in computer sales kind of stuff. I I, broke, I I went out and started a consulting company with a buddy of mine, uh, Devin Carrier, and uh, it was SIP Consulting. And it was basically going into Victoria businesses and like looking at their existing system. And um, we started building intra, intranet pages for them. So basically like a simple bookmark uh, website um, for how to get around. And, you know, it was okay. But uh, I ended up running into uh, Scott Wartell, who was running a legal marketing website. Uh, here in Victoria, 
uh, well, he lived here in Victoria. There's people in Whistler, Vancouver. Uh, it was sort of like a remote um, uh, business, you know, like it was like the original remote business. And all of the clientele that he had were all U.S. law firms. So I was immediately intrigued by how you could work from home with U.S. law firms, and I jumped in, uh, and I started off as sales there. Uh, and it was all, you know, fine plaintiffs for law firm for, you know, problem X or problem Y. Um, you know, uh, some of the cases I worked on, like, dealt with a whole bunch of those things. And while I was trying to find, you know, very specific plaintiffs for these class action lawsuits, right, because you need one. You need one person to represent everybody else. And so the, that person, the criteria to, to find that one person is hard. You know, in a sea of blockbuster customers, who's going to be the one person that can, you know, take the stand and take the, the you know, the defense drilling, right? They got to be able to be perfect. And so that's the criteria we had to find. And it wasn't just that, you know, for class actions, we also did mass torts and stuff. And so... So one of the big things with the website, um, you know, we were running bigclassaction.com, um, and there was a couple others. It ended up later be, being rebranded to Lawyers and Settlements. But it was all the, the biggest thing was how do you find those people? And I went from sales to SEO and digital strategy. And, I, and my title never changed. I just realized that there was no one really in the company that was really focusing on that. And I just started deep diving, like, like like crazy. Um, and then eventually Scott sold the company. I went with the new guys. Um, the new owners were, um, used to be the CEO of Avon in Japan. And, uh, the other guy was, um, he used to work for Intel at a high level. And this was sort of like they bought it. They were supposed to do a big cash infusion. And I realized that they didn't know what they're talking about. And I went off on my own and I started, doing that digital strategy for law firms sort of embedded. You know, how do I help the firm get better? So then I started analyzing their websites. You know, like I had already fixed some major problems. Like we became a news, uh, Google News source, right? So we ran, you know, you'd see a CNN story in Google News, you would see our story in CNN News. And so I would learned so much by then as being a publishing, um, you know, uh, an online publisher, that I thought, yeah, we could do it with law firms, and we we're pretty successful. So, you know, do you think that, when it comes, sort of the, yeah, do you think when it comes to the stuff that you're doing, like to me, I now being in a different sphere of, of sort of workplace in the hospitality industry, I think the the fundament. Do you think there's a fundamental issue with that? A lot of people in the hospitality industry, we're talking about distilleries, wineries, breweries. Um, still live in an age that they think that um, being, which is still a big part, but being great at what you do, good service, good atmosphere, good food will bring the guests through the door. Whether you make a new product or a great product, then people will naturally just follow. Do you think there's a fundamental misunderstanding of the evolution of where most of our lives are now digital and online compared to 25 years ago when print ad and all that sort of stuff and you'd find these places by walking down the street do you think there's a fundamental misunderstanding in the hospitality industry for this sort of 
conversation? Yeah, I think that basically, um, you know, I, I think that people that are running establishments think that if they provide a quality experience, people will just come in the door. You know, um, and I have a lot of, uh, I've got family, I've got friends that are all in the hospitality industry. Um, and so, you know, it's always been one, you know, really close to the heart. I actually did a lot of work sitting uh, at, at restaurant tables, uh, <laughs> reading and, and studying. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that people don't understand. Well, that's not true. They do. They are beginning to really understand, like Yelp and places like that. Like they mm-hmm. understand, you know, negative reviews. I mean, that every business owner understands that. Um, that's, in my mind, a bit of a racket, that Yelp idea. But, you know, the, the concept that people come to the door uh, again and again and again if, if they've had a great experience. But I don't know if they realize that they can continue to uh, encourage and warm up and encourage and drive back that traffic or friends of those people without mm-hmm. the, 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 you know, word of mouth. You know, like you can see when somebody likes something on Facebook, mm-hmm. right? You can see, you know, if someone is a follower of that page, you can see, and, and that, you know, Google's got the same thing. You can see recommendations. And if it's somebody that you know in your Gmail list, they're going to show up. So there's a lot of ways to, to encourage people to come through the front door um, or try your product. And I think, um, everybody's all about the experience, but how do you get them to your experience is the biggest one. Well, I do, I do find it uh, sometimes funny when I do discuss the impact of social media marketing with restaurants and bars and distilleries and stuff. Um, and they're like, uh, I'm just not sure if it's going to give me ROI or stuff, but then they hold so much weight in TripAdvisor, Yelp, well, whatever urban spoon is these days. Um, right. um, but they still hold weight on that. Open table. Online. Yeah, open table. Like they have so much weight on those platforms, but yeah. then you talk to them about social media strategy, and they're like, "Yeah, I'll post once a week on Instagram, and I'll, I'll do a post on Facebook. I'm not gonna. I don't really understand boosting and stuff like that, so like, I don't really need to do anything with that." It's the dichotomy of understanding of both platforms, I find a little bit ingrained in the industry. Yeah, but you know, it's. I think that the. The you know the manager or business owner is looking at um, things that tell them that it generated revenue. So if you see a Yelp review, whether it was good or bad, it made you money. Mm. If uh, people used Open Table for a reservation and that reservation was fulfilled, it made them money. If they posted an Instagram thing and a, and a whole bunch of people like it and share it, they don't know if it made them money. Yeah, right. And, and that's a challenge unless you're able to put in a system to track it. Right. So, Can you build a system where you track people coming through your front door or people buying your product through social media? And you can. Like straight up you can. I mean that's that's why that's what Instagram, Facebook, Google, they all want you to track those results so they have tool sets. And there's lots of third party companies that provide tool sets that you can, you know, merge all that data. Let's get into that in a little bit. Let's go back to websites and uh, let's get back to the, the fundamental stuff that every business has to have a website these days. Um, yeah. Everything from Squarespace to WordPress to Wix makes it relatively easy to build a pretty simple website pretty quickly, um, whether it be just a simple landing page or 
a couple of links to a PDF menu or um, spirit guides and stuff like that before we get into like Shopify stores and stuff like that. Um, to be really honest, like when you and I sat down, like originally to give some context to the listeners, we like didn't even think that we would ever partner up and, and work together, but we sat down as like yeah. a ment- mentee mentor <laughs> thing. And yeah. all of a sudden, like in a space of like four months, it's gone from, um, Hey, Sean, can I have a coffee and just chat about like this, this work stuff that I got to do with to, Oh, by the way, we're just going to pitch a massive idea to a multinational company. Um, right. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and after our conversations, to be honest, I've changed my tune about websites. Like for me, a website's always been something you needed. Um, yeah. but a, br- the, a brochure, the, it's a brochure, right? Everyone looks at it like it's a brochure. With every, with most of the, my energy and time being on the social media side of things and seeing fa- a Facebook page, um, as being my landing page, not my website. And since we chatted, I've changed my whole mentality towards that, um, from everything from how many words blog post has to have to how often mm-hmm. I post and so on and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. what do you think the fundamental, like the five fundamental issues that most hospitality people fall into when it comes to website development and, and building one out? Um, well, usually it's the, the viewpoint is I just need a website and it's going to be, you know, four to five pages and, you know, homepage, product page, recipe page, um, you know, menu page, whatever that happens to be, where we are, uh, contact us. You know, like there's like a set criteria that everyone thinks about when they build their page or they build their website. But they often pick a, a platform that's cheap, ineffective. Um, there, there's no, um, you know, the, the way that Google has set things up, you need to plan um, long term. And, you know, it, it is a marathon to be on the web and you want to be there because the rewards are really high. Uh, it's, you know, so when you plan long term, you should plan like, hey, I'm building this website today. This website's going to last me two years and then I'm going to have to build a new one. And like mm-hmm. everyone's like, what? But like, I'm going to have to build a new one because technology has changed or the algorithms are going to radically change. Like, you know, I, I saw the other day that there's a big algorithm shift coming up and Google gave extra notice this time because of COVID. But like you need to be aware that you might need to either change your whole website, a portion of your website or your strategy as the web shifts. And when you do those strategies and you plan like that, then you know how much you need to spend. You know how, how much you, you need to, re- you know, your ROI needs to be and you can develop some sort of content strategy. And that content strategy should be my website is the center uh, of a big wheel. You know, think of it like an old wagon wheel and every, every, um, you know, stick that goes out of that wagon wheel is a, a channel to bring in new customers. And it shouldn't be, you know, I will hire a company or I will hire a developer to like make me a super pretty website before you figure out what is your website all about? What are your, I'm going to use verticals, um, often, you know, with a single, um, you know, like a restaurant might be its own vertical. So that might all just be, this is the restaurant, this is mm-hmm. the things we offer. But, you know, a distillery 
would be, you know, we are a distillery and these are our different product lines. Each product, each spirit might be a different vertical, right? And you need to stack that content. Google gives extra weight when you stack similar content, right? So all the gins are together. Mm-hmm. All the whiskeys are, are together in another vertical. So so think of like silos of, of content, right? On a farm, you got grain silo one, grain silo two, and so on and so forth. And you need to plan that out because if you want to go back afterwards, you sort of have to jury rig it. You know, you got to got to move stuff around and it's not as uh, effective for your marketing platform. Um, so like those are really big key things. And then when you sit down with whoever your web developers are, like you do want to make it pretty. You do want to be captivating. I'm not saying mm-hmm. you don't, but you want to make sure that they use the technology that allows for your website to be fast. Does it look good on mobile phone? Does it pass all the industry standards? Like Google has industry standards. It's free tools. You can run your website on it. Uh, they've got it in webmaster tools. Like you make sure that you are plugged into webmaster tools. You're plugged into Google My Business. Uh, you want to be in these places, uh, Google Analytics, whether you're using the Google Tag Manager or just the analytics code. And all of that will become super relevant down the road when you start doing data collection and customer uh, analyzing for repeat use, uh, where they are, all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, So that's your fundamentals, right? Have a plan. Know where you're going to be in a couple of years because you're probably going to need to do a new website. Make sure that uh, you plan for future additions, like, if you're a distillery and you've got one product line right now, you know, you've, you're all whiskey. Uh-huh. What happens if you want to do another line? Where does that, where would that fit on your website? And it's important that, you know, um, structurally speaking, you know, like you, you need to think about having an architect set up your system before you have the interior designer come in and make everything look awesome. Like it's super important. Well, I think uh, that's because Best analogy yeah, you've used. I think that's the best analogy you've used is that uh, you can have a beautiful house, but if the foundations suck, then yeah. your house, that pretty house, is going to fall down really, really quickly. Or, or it won't. What'll happen is there'll be lots of problems that keep popping up that you keep paying for, and you'll either decide whether you want to spend the money on it or kick it down the road, and then one day your website doesn't load. Hmm. And the hard thing is I find uh, for a lot of businesses, and I think you're going to be able to give a little bit, and this is a nice segue into our next next step, is like how do you justify an ROI on a website? Because I think we've talked about it in length. Um, utilizing the data that the website collects is something that I don't think a lot of business owners even consider thinking about. Um, right. And utilizing that data is where your ROI comes back. So a lot of these people, when you say, oh, it's going to cost you 10 grand for a website, they're like, uh, I'm just going to do mine on Squarespace and it's going to cost me, it's going to cost me 50 bucks. Right. And like, it'll work. Like, I'm not here to say that that won't work. It's just, are you actually making as much money as you could have if you had made the better website with the better functionality to find out who your customers are and increase the base of customers, you know, like, so you, you know, you know that these people like coming, you know, like uh, all air quotes, but this demographic of people are fans mm-hmm. of you on, on a Facebook or on Twitter or Instagram. And they, 
um, they come into your, your, your establishment or they buy your product all the time. Well, there are tools out there that you can now take that and, you know, flip it uh, and say, I want a lookalike audience, right? Um, or you've got an email, uh, you know, use MailChimp. And, like, you, you want people to interact with your product or your, or your services. Um, and it's super important that your website, um, you know, powers that, not the social media sites. Like, you can use them as tools, and you should, all the time. But, you know, there was a MySpace and a lot of people are pretty un- unhappy with how Facebook is doing things these days. I- I'm not saying that they're going to go away or anything like that, but I think that you might start to see a splintering of uh, of audiences, right? So where is, where is your audience located? You know, your your website should be the one place that everybody of all ages and all preferences, you know, whatever they like. They can go to your site. They can interact with you instead of on these social media platforms. Because if they change their rules, you know, you don't own any of that stuff, right? When Facebook uh-huh. went from, like, you can you can uh, post and all your fans will see it to now only a small percentage of your fans will see it. And you have to pay us for everyone else to see it. Uh-huh. But if you built up, everyone just goes to your website all the time. And you have all of their emails in your MailChimp, you know, automated system then, you know, you don't have to pay to boost as much. You can notify all your fans through your email that there's a new post and then they can go that way and not even pay them, right? There's lots of ways to work around these other channels, but it's important that, you know, your brand website, you know, whether that's a restaurant, distillery, whatever, that is like the central hub. And I guess the last big one, I I sort of left this out, but this one's super key is that, um, your website needs to answer questions. People go online to ask questions. Where mm-hmm. are you? When are you open? What are you serving tonight? What are your products? You know, how do I make this? Your website needs to answer those questions because if your website doesn't and your service doesn't, but your competitor does, when they get their answers, they're going to be like, oh, hey, that's a new restaurant or that's a new, you know, I don't know, gin or, or whiskey mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, that's a new thing. I'm going to go try that. Well, are they going to come back? I don't know. Right? And yeah. when you're answering those questions, like, like uh, maybe people don't realize this, but 50% of searches, you know, you Google search something, end up in no clicks. And that's because Google has answered it for the person mm. with them, right? So that's like, you know, who's in that movie? Who's the cast member? Um, you know, where is this location? When are their business hours? Those are all no-click results these days. Mm-hmm. So it's super important to, uh, that you answer those questions because they will include you. It's called rich snippets, and they will include you on the page. You know, you ask a question, and then you'll notice that there is a series of other questions underneath yeah. that are that are you know people also ask or people ask this, people ask that. Like you should be, you know, when I go back to the plan, you should be looking to answer those questions. That should be part of your strategy mm-hmm. going forward. Like what is, what is what is XXX yeah. brand? The answers come out underneath, and your website doesn't even get touched. Right. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Well, th- there's a whole bunch of things like you could do. Like if you type in right now, you could type in like buy gin, and you will see um, 
people have marked up their, their products with specific schema code and fed it into Google. And now you can actually like buy gin um, just for those. I think there's like, I went, last one I did was like 10 companies or something like mm. that have their products there. Right. So now like if someone's like just quickly types in buy gin and they're thinking about like ordering online, you're included. They come to your website. It's a brand new way that you've got new, um, you know, new exposure. Mm-hmm. So those things are key, and your honestly, your wits or or these other sites, you could do it, but their analytic packages are pretty poor. Um, their uh, the the page speeds are pretty poor unless you really start upping what your monthly payment is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it depends upon, are you a local brand? Are you a national brand? Are you international? And then, you know, how, how do you create redundancy um, in servers across, uh, you know, North America or the world so that, you know, someone clicking on their phone in Victoria gets the, gets the information as fast as someone doing it in, you know, Quebec, mm-hmm. Tokyo, Texas, and that's that, that's really scalable. That's actually really affordable too. I, you know, that's pretty standard these days. I'm always blown away with. Uh, I'm never. I never really argue about the or complain about the organic reach. When right. you have more and more people on a platform, it's going to happen. Organic reach on Instagram has dropped. Organic reach on Facebook dropped forever ago. Um, basically, I I always say I remember when I opened up Little Jumbo in 2013. Um, we had a thousand fans for the page the night we opened, and so just just seeing the the organic reach of there and then in 2013 compared to now, and having multiple pages on Facebook now and looking at the fan count there that have been and it's been around for six months, twelve months with tons of content going on the page, it just shows the organic reach has shrunk so drastically over the last like seven years. Um, so let's just bounce into online presence. Um, where do you see like going top down where the focus for most hospitality industry places should be focusing their, their, uh, uh, their efforts on as like you're talking about the spokes of a wheel, um, go from spoke to spoke to spoke, which, where, where, which should, which should be the first spoke? Um, I think the first spoke should be spoke should be Facebook um, because of the data set you can get, um, and you know you can reach out and and get to know people. Um, you know, on a one to one. You know, like you're a restaurant and you saw someone come in and you stop by their table and they leave you a nice review or, or share a post or something like that. It's a really, you know, you answer them back the next day. That will, you know. That, that that's like a pebble in a pond, right? That's a, mm-hmm. That will cause ripples amongst the friends and, and anyone who sees it. Um, so Facebook is a really nice way for, for people, you know, distilleries, um, you know, that people drop by for tastings, whatever it happens to be. It's a great uh, community zone. Um, I think an email list is, is super important, Um and that might be the, the the next one. I mean, yeah, those ones are sort of tied. Like, there's some some really base fundamental ones. Uh, a third one is actually search results. Hmm. You know, like like um, 
people ask questions and you really want to be in there for all the top ones. Like you really want to um, get the data that tells you, you know, how do people search? Like what are the most uh, highly searched terms that relate to my business or my products? And, and where can I get in? Like where can I fit myself into that? Because that will, you know, as long as you're um, vigilant and you keep it up to date and you keep adding to it, uh, that will always bring in new um, new customers, right? They, they'll be exposed to your brand or your restaurant for the first time. So, you know, when COVID ends and we've got tourists coming through here uh, or we get tourists coming through here before COVID, ends, I don't know. Um, but, but basically think about, you know, people from other parts of the world in Victoria Googling restaurants to, you know, uh-huh. to, to, to eat at, right? Or um, people looking for like like world's best gin, you'll get some answers. You say world's best contemporary gin, and actually there's a zero-click answer, and it's victoriabuzz.com that has that answer. It's uh-huh. not actually, you know, Sheringham, even though they reference Sheringham directly in it. So there, you know, anyone who wanted to know what that was, who had no idea, that's a great exposure. Um, and, you, and so when I look at distilleries, they should be looking at recipes. People never know how to make drinks or they're always wanting to make a new drink or they're at the grocery store and they're like, oh, yeah, what goes in that again? Uh-huh. I mean, there's, there's a lot of searching that happens, um, you know, for just questions. And if you can build the answers into your into your uh, website. So that's that's your next big one. Um, I think YouTube. um you know, depending upon what your customer demographic is, I think running a six-second uh, YouTube uh, commercial can be pretty pretty powerful. Um, I would, you know, I would do it at certain times. I would, uh, uh, I wouldn't do it all the time, but uh, that six-second exposure can be really big. the The thing is, though, it's not just about like what are these channels, what are these spokes in the wheel it's super important to recognize that you need to plan out what your message is going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, people love stories, books, movies, whatever. Your message should be some sort of story format. You should be looking to engage with a story. Um, that That's even Instagram, Instagram posts. You can do a series of slides. They tell a story. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the engaging uh, content you want, not a flat, boring um, bottle shot with glass. Not, um, not uh, you know, for some of the restaurants. There's, there's some, some are, are pretty good because food sort of eye catching, but that type of food needs to appeal. And so you could do a series of plates, a series of things, um, and you know, a, a before, middle, and end. Right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things you can do. And so when you're picking these different. Um, mediums, these these channels, you should be really thinking about the story format. And can you weave a story across all the different, um, you know, channels? So can you tell part of a story on Facebook? The other part of the story on Instagram, because uh-huh. they, they're both owned by the same companies. You use your ads, you know, you, you buy ads through the same place. Um, and if you're capturing your audience, you could then, once they've seen one ad, you could send them the next ad. And, like, you sort of begin to have this, uh, you know, conversation with them or this engagement with them where you're not just, here's a shot, here's another shot, 
here's another shot. They don't all relate. They're, you know, they're essentially look at my products or look at my service, but think about like selling a, a story as an experience, right? So do you think there's a, a like we all talk about social media being super interactive and, and all this sort of stuff. Do you find on business pages, because this is what I find nine times out of 10 is the, the, the capabilities of how interactive it can be, uh, mm-hmm. actually but the mm-hmm. actual utilization of that interactive, like it, I see a lot of restaurants, a lot of bars, a lot of everything, like it's splatted up and it's like a painting, like look at it and that's it. Um, right. And if you comment, the, co- the, the it doesn't get interacted with. It's literally, oh, this is really cool and that's it. Like a simple emoji yep. response is yeah. enough just to show that you have a community. And I find that a lot of people have found social media as being this like one-way street where you're just right. putting out everything, but there's no actual interaction. Right. Um, yeah, you, you need to engage your audience. If you're if you are on these uh, channels, and you should be like like you know if people are hearing like oh that's work. Yeah. Well, but it's also like you know encouraging and responding back to your customers. Right. And think about if you're a customer of someone else's business, isn't it better when they pay attention to you? Isn't it better when they respond to you? And like that sort of like it's important that you you put the the paradigm there and think about it the other way so that you understand where your customers are coming from. And, you know, a lot of business owners do, but it's something to think about. You need to reengage for sure. It's a verbal. it's It's a verbal. It's a virtual table touch. Like yeah. industry yeah. lingo. It's a ver- like I remember when, like even when Clive first started taking, I remember that Twitter was really big in 2009. I, I think Twitter's making a bit of a resurgence to a degree. Um, but I remember it being like finishing up my shift at Clive's and walking home and literally, this is before Instagram, literally answering tweets and Facebook uh, comments. And that was my, my walk home ritual, listen to music and and change up and it interact with every single person and like say, thank you very much for coming. Um, I also dealt with complaints via social media, which was really interesting. I remember flying to um, Cognac and I landed in Amsterdam and there was a tweet that popped up on my feed and it was someone saying that the mute, like that the two girls behind the bar were misbehaving and like pouring shots and drinking shots and like, the music was too loud and they were having fun with their friends and not giving any service to people. And I literally yeah. got off and playing dance them and that was on my phone. I'm just like, I screenshot it, sent it to my manager. And I was like, can, can you deal with this and let me know how this goes? Um, yeah. And I'm, you're, I'm always surprised when I see those sort of things on Twitter um, feeds and on Instagram feeds, but there's no, um, uh, and positive and negative, no like interaction, no like, consumer interaction with them. Right, right. So after after Google searches and uh, search engines, I find, do you find that when you start talking this sort of way with analytics, especially analytics, with consumers, I start glazing over. Uh, <laughs> there is so much, there's so much data. There's so much data to go through. Um, but it's, it's funny how it still gets demonized. The data gets demonized, but then a print magazine will say that they have 15,000 readers and they're like, Oh, I'll do a quarter page ad. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the idea of uh, of glazing over with uh, all of the analytics and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, um, just to, to sidestep for a second, I actually stopped telling people, like, like people ask me, like, what I do. And <laughs> I find that, like, I go down this rabbit hole, and then afterwards I would see their face, like, the looks on their face, and they'd be, like, kind of lost and be like, I don't know why I did that. I just, I, I, do, I do web stuff. You know, like, <laughs> It's way more than they like expected to to bite <laughs> off, right? Um, it is funny how people will buy ads in you know magazines and uh, and and they they really they, there's no feedback loop on it, right? Like they don't know how many people like dwelled on that page with their ad at that you know for one you know they buy the one quarter or one eighth or whatever that the size of the ad is. Um, you know it, it's. In this day and age, it's weird um, that that is still like the top thing, um, even even TV in some ways. You know, like you really need to know who your demographic is that's watching those shows and those hours in that region to run the ad because it it you know, it matches you know a big enough percentage matches against your your customer base, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with social media, you define it right. Like you want to run this ad in these cities on these streets, like geo-targeting is amazing. You know, like I, I only want to hit this area code and I want to hit, um, you know, like I, I want this ad to show up for the next two weeks in front of people that make X or Y or, um, you know, like the following things because I know a lot of my customers like the following things and they're, and, you know, you make sure that they're within the age category of, you know, whatever you're selling that they can afford it and they want to buy it. Right. Um, because you're, the reason why you're doing that is you want to make sure that they have the money to buy it because you spent money to put it in front of them. Right. Like, um, there's, uh, there's a lot of instant feedback and then you go and you look at the analytics, right. You run, you, you, you take your, uh, your your website analytics, you take your social media analytics, you take your you know Shopify if you if you're running a Shopify store, um, and you take you know your Excel spreadsheets if you've got um, you know other other data, um, and you can layer them all over top of each other, and it will tell you a story, and that story can help you make really smart decisions on how to increase your business or how to maintain your business. So that's a good segue into uh, like tangible tracking. Um, we were talking before we went on on air about um, distilleries and BC tracking because uh, I think this is this sort of breaks down. It gets away from the techie sort of stuff that people usually throw their hands up and go, "I don't get it," so I'm just going to walk away. Um, right. To like actually bring a tangible sort of nature into it because uh, I don't think a lot of people can define like mission state things. Like when you get down to the fundamentals of when you start a new project, um, distillery, winery, whatever, like what are you to say that you're a good place, a great place with good atmosphere that has good food. That's like, mm-hmm. if you, if you took that and put that online, that's literally 99.99% of every single restaurant and bar in the, in the, in the world. Like what do you yeah. fundamentally do? So part, applying that, tangibility offline to actually help you online I think is going to bring a lot of great value because as you were saying like distilleries do they track where their sales are 
And then do they use those that tracking of region specific or like is there a space, uh, an area that they want to break into with a certain liquor store that has a good reputation? Um, let, let's, let's dive into like the tangibility and tangible tracking that a lot of distilleries and wineries, I don't personally, I think, I, I personally don't think that they do um, to really boost in a very simple way how they advertise online. Right. Right. So, you know, do you know that, you know, private liquor store A, you know, has your product and sells X amount of your product every two weeks, every month? And do you know that private liquor store B has your product, sells it occasionally? And, and why? You know, why is there the discrepancy between liquor store A and private liquor store B? You know, and if you can figure that out, then you can begin to run ads to sell more of that product. Whether it's, you know, maybe, okay, maybe B's a lost cause. Maybe we can sell way more at A. Um, and, you know, and like, hopefully you're sending someone in there, a rapper or yourself, to, like, walk in, eyeball the two just to see where your product is placed on the shelves and, you know, that kind of stuff because that's super important. But the other the other idea is, like, if you can build a system where you know, you know, uh, private liquor store A ordered a bunch of new, uh, you know, uh, new product from you, and it just went up on the on the shelves, you can run ads to notify your favorite customers in that region. That's like targeting, right? Like you drop it an area code, drop that pin use your customer base and notify them. And you're not spending a lot of money. I mean, people might immediately go, well, they're your customers already, but, you know, it's a top of mind thing. You know, Coca-Cola spends crazy amounts of money (laughs) putting their name out there over and over and over again for a reason. It's a reminder when they go into the store, what they were, what they want to buy. So they don't try something else. Pepsi because Pepsi there's always new products. Right, right, exactly. There's duality marketing, right? The duality marketing is there's always two. There's always two big ones. Yeah. Uh, and then there's everybody else underneath. But, yeah, I mean, you you, you sort of want to figure out where your product is, you know, in cities or, or provinces, um, what the turnover rate of those uh, stores are, and then how you amplify it. How do you how do you increase the sales of, of those so that you can make the big jump if you're a smaller distillery or a smaller mm-hmm. winery, right? Like so you know that you've got a system in place, and then once you you know gather the data to figure out who that audience is, who are your loyal customers, who are your occasional customers, you can generate different ads to talk to each audience different. But you need to like absorb the the, the data, right? And you need to apply the data. With you know, I would call your the liquor stores your partners, right? You need to have a conversation with them and, and see if you can do cross promotion. You know, there's a there's a whole bunch of things that you could potentially do once you actually, um, you know, figure out what's actually happening in the bricks and mortar store and with your brand. And when you start crunching down analytics, is it? Uh, let's take away sort of the the Wizard of Oz, pull back the curtain is when you really start crunching down analytics, is it the the rabbit hole that a lot of people sort of have the impression that analytics is, whether it be on Facebook with Pixel, so on and so forth. Um, is it the rabbit hole? Or, or more, more better, better question is, 
can it be a, can it be held back from being a rabbit hole? Uh, yes and and no. Um, so you can set up your analytic package so that um, it's not a rabbit hole, and that you know this goes back to the very beginning idea of like your website and what do you want to do? When you're answering those questions, you should also be trying to figure out like, what do you need to know from it? What do you need to know um, from your, from your digital presence, you know, your social media, your website, your email list, because that is what you're going to, those are the questions you're going to ask through the, you know, um, the data studio that you're using from all the different uh, sources. And, you know, it, it is time consuming initially to build the different, you know, like say you're, you're going to build a, a funnel template and you will track where everybody comes from, how long they spend on your website, how much they buy, how many products they looked at, um, how many shopping carts were abandoned, uh, and then new customers versus re- repeat customers. What device did they use? You know, are they buying on the desktop? Are they buying on their phones? Um, and then, you know, you, you, once you have like that funnel, you can start figuring out like maybe there's too many clicks and which this is often the case, there's too many clicks to get uh-huh. to the, to get to the sale. Right. I mean, that's why Amazon, um, uh, they, they patented the one clicks, uh, the, their one click, uh, button, uh-huh. you know, because it's, it's, it drives sales like crazy. So you need to, you know, on your website, you need to shorten the amount of, uh, of clicks to get to anything. And that's also why you, you know, you end up building these, um, these verticals, you know, these silos of information because you want to get there and keep them there as few clicks as possible to get them what they want. Um, and so you can build out, you know, these, these um, I call them sheets of information, right, where you funnel all the information uh, from the various sources, website, social media, email list, what have you, um, maybe even your, your Excel spreadsheet if you're tracking where inventory is placed. You put it all together, and you're, you're looking at, you know, a lot of information, like more than you realize is available to you. And so the setup of that is time-consuming. But once it's set up, you don't change it very often. You might tweak it every once in a while because you ask a new question, but oftentimes you just end up asking the questions that you need to build a different sheet, right? A, a, a different readout. And so, um, you know, they call them dashboards in Google Analytics because it is like a dashboard. You get all these like pie charts and and, uh, and graphs and things like that. But um, building those things, a little, a little time up front, um, but once they're in place, you're basically using them all the time. Um, can you go down the rabbit hole? Yeah, because you can really, you know, start trying to figure out, um, you know, why are you losing people at X click and from Twitter? Or, you know, here's one. Uh, you want to, sp- you know, I, I, I've always disliked this for as long as I've been doing this, so say since 2003. Um, what is direct? If you go into Google Analytics, what is direct traffic? And these days, it's actually worse than it was back then because you can have dark social, which is, mm-hmm. you know, I, te- I text you a link to something. You click that link. That's going to show up as direct. Like, yeah. like there is no way to capture what that is because I texted it to you. Um, but if you can figure out, if you can start applying, um, you know, universal tracking codes 
um, to your different, um, you know, to Facebook, you use like a Facebook tracking code. For Twitter, you use a, tra- a Twitter tracking code. If something breaks along the way, you can reduce the amount of direct just with the tracking code. Um, you know, bookmarks are, are another direct. So you can, like, you can go down the rabbit hole trying to figure out where your direct traffic is coming from and, you know, why you have tons of sales or no sales that way. Yeah, another way that can be uh, direct um, that might not result in sales is you haven't whitelisted your own uh, IP address for your computer, like your phone, your, your mm. cell phone or your, right? So you go to your website a lot um, and it's not being, and so you drive up the numbers of visitors. Um, you know your own address, you have your own bookmark, and so your direct goes way, way, way up. And so if you whitelist it, then those numbers come out of it and maybe your direct con- converts really well, but because you go all the time and you're not buying from it, um, or maybe you do go all the time and you're buying it as like promo codes or like you're you're doing something with inventory um, that's throwing the numbers off. Like there's some there's some ways to go down the rabbit hole for sure. So that's let's, one example. There's tons. <laughs> I've seen your reports. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's try and tie this off into a nice little bow because I think the real thing, like we've just had a, a, a long 45-minute conversation here, and I still right. think there's going to be always people who go, but it's not really for me, or but it's going to be expensive, or but it's not going to do anything for me. Where's my ROI? Because it, it, when we sell a bottle, it, I think we live in the tangible. Like we, we sell a, a dish of food. We sell a bottle of alcohol. We sell a cocktail. It's a right. tangible transfer of, of funds, you know, that the alcohol you bought gets turned into that, get put into there, and then you get money for it. I think that the, the online sphere, I think hospitality is probably maybe 10, 15 years behind in a way that the understanding of the return of investment is just not capable. And so how do we, how would you like to sort of to end this conversation with how do you get people's mentalities over that hurdle to completely understanding just, and to be honest, like I, I know from my experience, I think the ROI on online marketing and stuff like that is way higher than print and and that sort of thing. Like I think that it's absolutely and it's boundless and endless. But I think the ROI is way better return on investment than many other forms of advertising and marketing. But how do you get people who are so stuck in their ways, like most of this industry where a lot of people still use Excel to do inventory and use Excel to do their scheduling? Um right. or take Pagliacci's until 2015, they didn't even have a POS. Everything was still right. handwritten bills. How do you get them <laughs> over this? You know, I, when Seoul took over is when it all got technological down there. But how do you get people over this hurdle to really understand and really try and wrap their head around the fact that online presence, marketing, geotagging, all these sort of fancy words we've used in this conversation can actually really benefit them aggressively? On on a on a long time long term scale. Well, okay. So when you think of the product you're selling, don't think of the one off sale, right? Like if you know you have a product or service that will bring customers back again and again and again, think of the ROI of the marketing to land that customer, and they will buy again and again and again. And you can then you know you figure out you know, what's my profit margin in this? 
what's my profit margin over the next year, how, you know, um, along the lines of like, how often do you think that this customer is going to come back? And you figure out what is the cost of acquisition? You know, what does it cost you in, in, in marketing dollars to get in new customers that repeat by, um, you know, your product or your service? That information is totally online. You know, like the, all the tools are there for you. You can figure that out fairly easily. When you look at all the, you know, um, I don't want to call them archaic, but like older marketing systems, it's guesstimates. Like they're guessing that you, your product was in front of all these people and the reason why your sales are up is because you ran ads. There is, there's no way that they actually know unless people are like clipping something out of like newspapers or magazines and bringing them in. Right. I mean, you can run a promotion that is like a, um, a sale promotion and you can put it on billboards and all that kind of stuff. But will that keep the, the customers coming back over and over and over again for that cost? Mm -hmm. Or is it better that like once you have those customers that you nudge them for way cheaper through social media? And then on top of it, once you nudge them and you know who they are and they come back, can you create another audience? Like, in other words, you know, you have a loyal customer base of 10,000 and you have data, you know, like it's anonymous data. You know, you don't know people's names or anything like that, but you know, like ages, demographics, you know, uh -huh. who they are. You can take that 10,000 and plug it in to the marketing and be like, Give me a lookalike audience. Give me another 10,000 people uh -huh. that have never experienced me or my service before, right, or my product, and let's market to them with what we know works for this other 10,000. Like print, TV, they can't do that. There's, you're still guessing at how many people opened the page and stayed on the page, how many people actually watched that commercial and didn't fast forward, they you know, record their favorite shows and then just skip through them. Like, uh -huh. like, how do you know, right? It's hard that way. You know, the other way, it's it's hard. Um, I, it only makes sense if you really want, if you really care about ROI, you really want to go social media, you really want to go internet marketing. I mean, it, it, the, the data is available. Well, it's also that thing is like you pay, you still pay a premium, which is crazy. You still pay a premium for print media. And if you wanted to advertise in the 10 top magazines in your region, it would cost you far and away if you did the same ad on social media 10 different ways to different markets in right. the same area. Right. So it, it still blows my mind that people, but I, again, I try and evolve and I try and get better and, and build um, new skill sets. And I think with all this COVID stuff, I think we've talked about it a couple of times now is that with COVID, I think if you're, if you're not coming, if you're coming out of, all this lockdown and this time not working or if you're part-time working or whatever and you haven't picked up a new skill, then you've really missed yeah. a massive opportunity. Right. Right. I was going to say, I also, I feel for people that, you know, in the COVID rush, they, they didn't have a good presence and they rushed and made decisions and mm. bought services from people that didn't pan out and they feel burnt. And yeah. like I've seen that in the legal industry, I think that's ubiquitous across the web. People don't know what they're buying. It costs a lot of money, and you know, you know, once they're burned, they're shy to try it again. But I tell you, 
you know, there are a lot of good service providers out there. It's just trying to figure out who they are and what they're offering you. Mm-hmm. And education so, comes in a big, big portion you, of that as well. It should be a long conversation. You should really have a long conversation with a provider way before you, you're spending money because then you need to know what you're getting. Right? Well, that's what I was mentioning. Uh, the whole Wizard of Oz, like, pull the curtain back because I find... Right, right. Uh, and that's in ev- I think that's in every industry. We have a lot of it in the cocktail scene with the really super geeky cocktails. Like, right. the, the cloak comes up and the, the prep and everything happens behind the scenes, but... Really, it's basically anybody can do what I do. Just if you can do it 400 times repetitively over a 10-hour shift, that's why I get I am who I am. But uh, pulling back the curtain, really being transparent and honest with with clients, I think is a big thing that's gonna it's gonna have to change because clients are getting more savvy. Right, right, right. But I want to thank you for your time, man. Um, as always, I we chat like five times a week, so I'm I'm happy to sort of give a. <laughs> I, I want to give a people a, a insight into sort of not just what you do, but what we're doing together. Um, right. Mainly yeah. because I like you. You've experienced this with me now, being known as the cocktail guy, or you're the restaurant guy. <laughs> um, when I just do a little bit more than that. Right. <laughs> so, but That's thank right. you for your time, man. And uh, I'm sure we'll probably chat tomorrow. Sounds good. All right. See you, buddy. Bye. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening, Pro Shifters. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I really enjoy sitting down with friends and peers and uh, just chatting about the industry and getting down to the nuts and bolts of what's really going on out there. Uh, Make sure you like, subscribe, comment, everything on all the platforms. Just hit it up and I'll do my best to answer any queries or questions you have. I'll see you next week, guys. Bye.